is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 561, recorded on Monday, November the 22nd, 2021. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the show, Jason. How's it going this week? Uh, so far, so good. It is a fine Monday in November. <laughs> got the uh, Christmas lights up on the weekend. Oh, very but, good. Uh, yeah, so, well, when I say Christmas lights, we put together a moose and a snowman and uh, plug them in. Oh, so the moose and the snowman light up. They do, yeah. Oh, that's pretty fun. How big is the moose? Uh, the moose is not very big. The snowman is five feet high. The moose is about three feet high. Okay. I think the uh, the uh, relative dimensions are off a little bit there for a moose a and a bit. snowman. but Yeah, and, and I'm pretty sure the snowman gets drunk every night because I wake up in the morning and he's always <laughs> lying face down in the dirt. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he's, uh, he's a drinker. Yeah, well, you know, it happens to the best of us. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I dress up as a snowman quite often and come home and flop down in the dirt face down every Christmas time. Yeah, I do that. I dress up as Santa Claus and do that. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't More for the kids, you know? Yeah, of course. You do it for the kids. Uh, well, that's fun. I, uh, I plugged in my Christmas lights, which was nice. Uh, and the reason I plugged them in is because I never took them down from last year. I'm one of the, I love that. One of those guys. (laughs) I would, I've totally been those guys. Uh, so yeah. And no, we took them down a couple of years ago and haven't put any up since. Oh, well that's, that's the opposite of what I did. You skipped a year. I just decided it was Christmas all year round and never took them down. Oh yeah. I decided fuck Christmas last year. I was just like, (laughs) no, I'm, I'm done with this bullshit. I'm not dealing with going outside at all. Yeah, forget it. Well, today was today. It feels like Christmas because it was the coldest day we've had of the year so far, uh, and even then, it was only a couple degrees below freezing. But you know, felt pretty cold out there considering what we've had. But it is the end of November, so we're into the winter season where we live. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. No, like I don't. Shoveling the driveway, it's great. I don't mind too much either. Did it snow at your house? It was. I just ran out to grab a coffee. And, uh, while I was out there, there was tiny little bits of snow on the, on the, on the car. Yeah. Same here. I looked at the front window and there was a tiny bit of snow on the car, but I don't have to go out to get coffee. So I'm lucky about that. All right. Uh, that's the weather report for this week. Hope everyone enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> next, next we're going to do traffic. Uh, <laughs> the freeway is busy this evening due to the slight snow. Uh, just kidding. Well, probably, but who cares? Yeah, not probably. Out there. Not like you. Not, doesn't matter to you and me. Uh, yep. Be careful if you're driving out there, folks. Drive to conditions. That's good advice. All right. Well, of course, what we are going to do is talk about two more episodes of The Walking Dead. Of course, Walking Dead World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead. First, though, I just want to make a really quick announcement. And that is that uh, I'm going to include timestamps in the podcast, well, not in the podcast, but in the description or the show notes for the podcast of what point in the recording we start talking about each episode, because somebody tweeted at me this week and said, Hey, that'd be great. Since I only watch one of the shows, it's kind of nice to know, you know, where to go if I'm going to skip over your discussion of the one I don't watch. And I said, you know, that's a great idea. I'll do that. Um, now I know that, in these modern times we live in that if you release your audio as an AAC file, you can actually include chapters, which your podcast app could skip to. 
Sadly, because we've been doing this since the beginning of time, we still use MP3 files for our file, our releases, and they do not support chapters, I'm afraid, as far as I know. Uh, so we can't do that, but I will at least type out the time codes in the episode description so that if you want to skip to the second episode we discuss, uh, you can, or at least do that a little bit easier anyways. Yeah, and, he, and we don't want to announce the timestamps now because uh, we want it to be a bit of a surprise. Uh, yeah, so, you know, and, you know, we've got it laid out. Our entire discussion is uh, pre-scripted and timed out and practiced uh, many, many times so that the timing is uh, spot on right. every time. Uh, so uh, we know what the timestamps will be, right? But we don't want to. We don't want to say them right now. I mean, you can write them in the show notes. You would never know that we were doing this from a script, would you? <laughs> no. no, no. That's how good we are. Is that <laughs> uh, it, you know? Sure, it's scripted, but uh, you you you'd never be able to guess that. No, never be able to tell in a million years. Yeah. Well, uh, in that case, let's continue on with the script. And the first episode we are going to talk about here is The Walking Dead. World Beyond, Season 2, Episode 8. It's called Returning Point. It aired yesterday, November the 21st. And we're getting close to the end of the season and the end of this show, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. But we've got this one plus two more. And I'm going to start with a call from Paul. G'day, guys. Paul from Melbourne, Australia here on World Beyond Actually, an episode I quite enjoyed for the first time, I think, in the entire season series run. A lot of action, um, the adults finally kind of taking charge and making decisions that made sense. The so-called genius scientists showing that they're actually quite smart and using the CRM protocols against them and not using the team trope of the teenagers are always the smartest people in the room and the adults are always just sort of fumbling along trying to catch up to what the teenagers have already figured out. So for once, I thought it was quite good. Jadis being in it is a big part of probably why I enjoyed it more. Um, how cold was that scene of her on the radio to Indira um, explaining she... You know, led a group of artists just like her, uh, in, again in inverted commas, uh, who was massacred by Simon and the Saviors. And just as you feel there's a little bit of humanity there and, you know, there's going to be a bit of lenience. Now the Gestapo, Simon style bullshit comes out and she pulls the trigger to kill them all. Um, so who knows where Jadis goes from there. She's obviously gone full CRM in uh, her actions. So who knows what she did with Rick. All right, cheers, guys. Much appreciated. Love your work. Bye. Great. Thanks, Paul. So I just wanted to start us off with that because his point near the beginning there about how the, the adults in this episode are smarter than the kids and kind of running the show here, not entirely, but to a, a degree, uh, is something I hadn't even thought about. But it is the thing I've noticed at other times, not just in this show, but in other shows as well and movies where, you know, you get a bunch of dumb adults when it's kind of about kids and they end up being smarter than the adults. And that always bothered me a little bit. I guess it's not always out of place, but 
often it is. And this show didn't go that way in this episode, and I liked it. And I didn't even realize that until Paul mentioned it. Yeah. Well, you and I might have different parenting experiences, but, uh, you know, I have a child in the house, and uh, <laughs> I definitely do not run the show. <laughs> well. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he's smarter than I am. So, well. There's that. All right. He's doing all right then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm sure Jadis will we'll talk a little bit more about later as we go on. But what I wanted to start with here is where the episode starts and the cold open. So the first thing we get is this flashback to two years earlier for some context of how the deal between Indira and Kublik came to be. And they're standing outside around this art Project Globe thing that Indira was installing at the uh, research facility. And yep. she explains that she has this health problem. And Kublik actually seems genuinely concerned for her health. And I thought this was good. Even though we haven't seen her in a couple of episodes, uh, it humanizes her a bit. And that's a character that we've, we've seen do some terrible, terrible things with seemingly little remorse. And all of a sudden, she seems very, very concerned for Indira's health. And, and this is like her friend's health. So um, I liked that. And I thought that did more for her character than almost anything we've seen between her and her own daughter, Huck, right? Which is yeah. kind of strange. But I thought this was kind of a good start to go back to that. That's true. And then uh, the next thing we get is Will coming back to the perimeter after Dev was killed. And, you know, watching that made me realize, I don't even think last week we mentioned that, Jason, although it was the, <laughs> it was the final scene of the episode where Dev is, you know, shot in the head while Will's standing there right in front of him. And I think we probably didn't talk about it because I don't feel like we knew that kid very well and sure it was shocking and it was supposed to be shocking for will standing there but it didn't really affect me all that much so i wasn't thinking about it really while we were talking about the episode and i usually just take my cues off of you so uh yeah i didn't bring it up i don't think it, it really impacted me a whole lot either no now it's sort of important to the show but at the time i didn't really feel it but this scene with him walking back into the town in slow motion, no dialogue, really great music. I think all the emotional weight you needed was there in that. And, you know, we don't really know them that well, as I said, but it was, it was pretty heavy. I thought him walking yeah. in, not having to say anything or whatever. So, um, I thought really great job done there. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Dr. Leo convincing the other scientists to participate in their escape plan. And he've, he's kind of outlining why they're doing it and not really how they're going to do it, right? Without detailing the plan, he, he gives them the important information and lets these other scientists, I guess, decide for themselves that this is the best approach. But we don't really see any of that. We just see him saying, this place has done, these people have done some terrible things. We have to like take the research and run kind of deal. I like this a lot too. It, it's good. I mean, the whole thing is, uh, you know, it's that adage where if you tell us to plan, it'll never work. But if you don't tell us to plan, it always works. Right. Uh, so of course, as soon as I knew that I didn't know the plan, I'm like, okay, obviously the plan is going to work. So that's just the way it goes. Yep. Uh, but that's how, you know, that's how you get people to buy into uh, a situation. You lay out the, uh, the reasoning. 
uh, and you you talk about uh, you know what the problems are, what the advantages are, and then you make a recommendation, yeah. uh, or you let them come to their own conclusion. You know, I've I've worked and or uh, dated people like this. <laughs> Let's just say that uh, instead of you know asking a question, do you want to do this? Instead of actually answering the question. Uh, what they will do is they will lay out all the reasons why they've come to the conclusion that they've come to without telling me what that conclusion is. Mm -hmm. Just like, okay, what do you want to do? It's like, well, there's this and then there's this. And it's like, but you're not answering the goddamn question. (laughs) What you're doing is you're laying out the reasonings for what you've decided. Sure. I understand the reasoning, but I am not quite capable of understanding exactly what your conclusion is. Well, I liked how it worked here because he's sort of giving them the, all the reasoning and, and letting them figure it out for themselves. I mean, in, to a degree, or at least, at least letting them make the decision to get on board or not. Right. He's like, we're escaping. They've done terrible things. I'm not going to tell you how, because then the audience would know and we don't want them to know, but. No, the audience doesn't, they they can't know because then. Then it wouldn't work. Then the plan won't work. Right. So after this scene, it all culminates with the world beyond title screen on a black background. And I don't know if you've noticed, but that's different than most weeks. Most episodes, the title fades up kind of on top of the shot that we're looking at. And I'm pretty sure this was a conscious decision on the editor or whoever to make it like more dramatic and stark and stuff like that. And to me, this may sound stupid, but it kind of communicated the gravity of what was at stake here. You know, the entire world beyond quote <laughs> to, to put the title screen on black instead of on top of, of whatever shot we were looking at. So it's a bit cheesy, but I think that really worked. Um, and so this was the whole cold open. And I thought it was all of it really well done, really, really well done. And I'm going, okay, this, this episode is off to a really, really good start. And I hope they can keep this up because if they do, maybe this is going to be a really, really good episode of this show. Well, I'm glad you had high hopes, Chris. I had very, very high hopes. And I guess I'm happy to report that this, I think, is probably the best episode this show has done of either season. I had some... St- wow. My, thought- my nitpickiness got, got the better of me near the latter half of the episode, but... Okay. Uh, and it made me... And also, sorry, spoiler here, but uh, I watched this after watching uh, Fear of the Walking Dead. Interesting. And I was so angry at Fear of the Walk- Walking Dead <laughs> that uh, I was not able to give this episode... Uh, as much leeway I was, as I would normally would have. Interesting. I watched this one before Fear the Walking Dead and I don't know, should I spoil my thoughts on that one too? Because there's some comparisons I'm, I'm going to make later. Well, there are some, there are some, com- there are some things that happened in this episode that happened in Fear as well. Uh, maybe we shouldn't spoil it too much, but, uh, you know, we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, as we go on. All right. Well, make sure you bring it up if, if I don't, but yeah, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll bring it up. Don't worry. I'll save my thoughts we'll, on fear till we we'll get have, there. We could have a whole section on Jason's nitpick picnic if you want. 
Alrighty. Well, I didn't find too many things to nitpick about in this episode. Um, there are one or two, I will admit, but overall, I thought this was a really, really solid episode of this show. And uh, I'd like just like to commend them for, for pulling this one off, because I think it was good. I did like Jadis in this episode. Uh, I did enjoy that Jadis has become the bad guy mm-hmm. uh, in, this, in this show, and I much prefer her as the bad guy uh for sure yes she is great so i mean let's talk about jadis for a minute in that case um what i wrote down here is that she's the bad guy and she's so good at being a bad guy because she's almost too good at her job it seems like like her job is is this leader of within the crm she's come in to do an audit apparently and she finds all these things and she's sniffed out this um supposed kind of rebellion or escape plan that's happening and she just knows what to do at every turn right and you never know if she's one step ahead of them sometimes she is or she's one step behind i think sometimes she's there too but she always knows what to do and uh you know she she knows how to use the processes and the procedures and everything and the systems that are in place to her advantage, right? She initiates this civilian evacuation order, which uh, generates these logs of everybody who checked in at transports, she says. And then she notices that none of the Bennets are on the logs, right? She's using the system to to figure out what they're doing and what she should do. And I thought it was great. So I'm not sure if it's the writing. I agree with you. So let me start there. I'm, uh, I agree with you. And uh, what I'm not sure of is I'm not sure if it's, if it's the writing of the character, Jadis's character, or if it's Pollyanna McIntosh that's delivering what is written on the page. But the difference between her and pretty much every other bad guy that we've had in The Walking Dead is that, uh, and I've said this before, like uh, a lot of the other bad guys are cult leaders. Yeah, right. Yeah. And no matter what happens, it was their plan for that to happen all along. But with uh, with Jadis, that is absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. She is one step ahead and knows what's going on. And it does not feel like she's just making it up as she goes along and telling everybody that was the plan. It feels like she's actually a step ahead. And I, and I, I think it's the writing. Uh, but I also think it's Pollyanna that's doing such a such a good job as Jadis portraying that character because she is absolutely on top of everything. Yeah, I mean it's it's you know ultimately it's obviously not going to go her way completely because uh, we know that. But uh, she works well within this uh, this structure of uh, you know the security service that she you know is in charge of here. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of of the two of the things, right? Like the the writing especially this episode was really, really good. I mean, it was, and not just what the words that they were saying, but the the way it all played out and, you know, the screenplay I think was good here, not just the dialogue that was written for these actors. Um, it's, it, there was more like intrigue and complexity to it without being confusing that than I've, I've seen in a long time, uh, you know, on, on any three of these shows, I think to be fair. Right. So, um, I think they did a good job. So I think it's a combination of Pollyanna McIntosh working with this material, good writing, good screenplay, and, uh, just a, a solid way to, 
tell this this story. So um, it's cool. And I, and I think the fact that she uses the tools, like that they've thought through all of these tools that the CRM leaders would have at their fingertips, right? And the way she uses them is really good. And she's just really good at this job. And I like watching people who are good at their jobs, <laughs> you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> so she's a compelling villain right now, highly organized, effective, and and just really cool. I don't know if she's always one step ahead of them. Like she knows what to do, but she's yeah. she's doing those things to to figure out what's going on. Okay, so she always has a plan. Like you yeah. said, she knows what she's doing. She knows knows what to do, and I think that's probably what I mean. Uh, that you know, instead of being one step ahead, because if she was one step ahead, the whole thing would be shut down and the show would be over. Right. right? So uh, I think she always knows what to do. She knew that uh, uh, you know that the whole family was a turn coach and now she wants to know who else is involved in this whole thing. And she has a plan to ferret those people out. I mean, luckily she had that plan because she didn't have that plan. The, uh, uh, you know, the scientists plan would never have worked. Right. right. She, uh, uh, luckily she had that plan, uh, you know, similar to Die Hard. I mean, this is a very Die Hard episode, right. Where they, you know, they use the, uh, they use the procedures, uh, against them in order to uh, achieve their goal. Right. So you're talking about uh, when they, they go into the biocontainment unit and they get locked in there. They know they're going to get locked in there for a certain amount yeah. of time. Yeah. Much like in Die Hard. May I spoil Die Hard? I mean, it's a book from the 60s and a movie from the 80s. Well, everyone, uh, he's going to spoil Die Hard. So plug your ear holes if you're worried. Tis the season for the Christmas Die Hard. True. Uh, you know, Without the, the FBI shutting down the power, they never would have got into the vault, right? So they needed that for the next step. And again, they didn't tell us the plan, you know, uh -huh. uh, what's his eyebrows? Uh, I'm forgetting both the character and the actor's name. Well, it's John McClane played by- No, the bad guy. Oh, the bad guy. Alan- uh, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman, yeah. Who played- I don't remember his name, his bad guy <sighs> name. Fuck, I just lost a lot of nerd cred. So did you, my friend. Oh, well. Anyway, it's uh, let's just think of it as a mental block rather than me actually not knowing. Oh, fair let's, enough. Let's go ahead and assume that. Okay. So uh, we got very diehearted here uh, without the... So we needed Jadis to uh, implement the procedures in order, for, uh, in order for their plan to work. Sure. So it was lucky. I guess a little bit of luck. I mean, the best plans involve a little bit of luck, but you have to be good to be lucky and you got to be lucky to be good. So it's, it's okay. I think I'm just trying to, there's a quote from something that I saw recently. I'm not sure if it's from this show or another one. So I'll just move on uh, in my head to other things. All I'll right. Sing a little song. It'll be fine. Very good. Um, the other note I had here about Jadis while we're talking about her is, well, yeah, she doesn't realize that the scientists have taken all the data until the end and, and they've wiped it from the CRM servers. So she figures that out and, and, you know, puts everything together. Um, but she also calls the, um, the down, the potential downfall of the, of the CRM as the second end. Right. And yep. in previous episodes, they keep saying things like we're setting up here for, generations and you know being set for thousands of years and stuff like that and like the hubris of these people is outstanding really and and surprising to think they're going to set themselves up for thousands of years 
and calling it the second end is just pretty uh i don't know intense or or something like that it's an it's it's a pretty bold statement i i would say for what is going on here like if if the crm falls there is literally no hope left for humanity and that's the kind of approach they have to this which i think is awesome on one hand and like so arrogant on the other <laughs> yeah having that kind of arrogance is uh you know just look at even the last 15 years of history uh and you look at that kind of arrogance and uh you know that it is false it's always false arrogance always because uh whenever you have a plan <laughs> man the world finds a way to fuck that shit up, uh, no matter what. So, uh, yeah, you know, you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Make a plan, yeah, 100%. But I just think it's fascinating to pos- position the CRM, you know, at that. Maybe, I mean, it's not that unusual for the current day and age we live in, but uh, it it's being revealed to us just how arrogant they are and what they think they're doing here. The absolute saviors of humanity, right? No matter what else goes on. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of the plan, that's where I was going to start, uh, originally, but, uh, that's what the bulk of this episode is. It's, it's the scientists and the Bennett family kind of executing this plan to escape. And as you said, we don't know what the plan is. So as the audience, we have the luxury of watching this play out, not really knowing the details or where it's going to go. And there are legitimately a few surprises along the way, I thought, which I really liked. But first of all, the Bennets, they are escaping with the scientists. As I mentioned, they lock themselves or they get locked in this biocontainment unit. And then they are going to break through the floor with sledgehammers into some old mining tunnels. Yeah. Yes, it would have been nice to have hinted that there were mining tunnels here before. They seem like awfully convenient mining tunnels. I think mining tunnels are always awfully convenient. It's Uh, it's true. You know, unless you dig them yourself, (laughs) because, you know, mines are usually dug by uh, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But uh, you very rarely build uh, a facility on top of an old mine. Well, uh, it, I don't know what kind of mine it is, but if it's a coal mine, that's a horrible idea because those things burn for a hundred years. So, uh, when they catch on fire, uh, yep. so, you know, there's a, there was a mine, I don't even remember where it was. It's in the United States. It started burning in the sixties and they've had plans to put it out since then. <laughs> and it's still burning, still going. And there's still people living there. There's people, they said, okay, everybody's got to leave. And people went, fuck you. I'm not leaving. I'm staying put. This is my town. I don't care if there's a fire burning for 60 years underneath my feet. Uh, this is my house. And Jesus. now all those poor people have cancer of the lungs and throat probably. Well, who knows? But, yeah. uh, you know, so building anything on top of an old mine, I mean, sure. It's convenient for escape plans, but uh, it's probably a structurally bad idea. Yeah, and I mean, that was sort of my thought too. It's like, oh great, there's always a mine to escape through, you know, or caves or something like that. It reminds me of the Simpsons parody of uh, Knight Rider where it's Night Boat and there's always a fjord or an inlet or something for Night Boat <laughs> yeah. to escape in. But, yeah. you know, that is just one of those things uh, that was a nit I had for this, this episode. I thought, oh, yeah. thought maybe it might be one of yours too. 
It was. You know what I would have liked better? What? If they were down there and there was a there was a Stargate that they could use to escape from, <laughs> used to escape, I would have liked that probably a little bit better. Okay, well. Because it opens up a whole other realm of possibilities, right? It's like they're down there, they're doing their research, they're, they have a plan to escape. It's like, man, we'll just use the Stargate and we'll go to some other <laughs> distant land and, uh, you know, have to fight the natives because that's, I, I never really watched Stargate. SG one, uh-huh. but I, I assume that that's what they do. They go to diff- various different places yep. and fight the fight the locals because you know that's what you do when you go someplace. I mean, you fight the locals, of course. I mean, but yeah. they're brilliant scientists too. I mean, I could have seen, hey Bob, why don't we just use the Stargate we invented last week? Oh, good idea, Jerry. Let's do that. You know? Oh, nobody invents the Stargate. They oh, found really? it. Oh, okay. So yeah, that I've seen Stargate with James Spader, like the the initial movie. <laughs> right. They found the Stargate. It's an old, uh, an ancient uh, wormhole system that was built long before humanity ever evolved. So you don't invent a Stargate; you find oh, a Stargate. Okay, sorry, I didn't know that. But <laughs> yeah, as you can see, I'm even less up on my Stargate knowledge than you are. All right. Okay. So that's what they're going to do. Uh, Dennis and Silas are, of course, out at their facility. Huck goes to tell them what to do. And their part of the plan is to travel separately to the perimeter to warn them that the group is coming. So on the, they're on their way there. They encounter some zombies and they're delayed a little bit. Uh, but eventually they do get there, which is a whole section we'll talk about. Um. But I don't know, this scene, and there's something about this guy, Maximilian Oshinsky, that plays Dennis. I think I got a man crush on him. I, I really like this do, guy. Do I, I don't know okay. what it is. Yeah. I enjoyed the conversation he had with Silas on their way about, you know, right and wrong and stuff like that. And uh, watching him fight at the end was fun and kill a couple zombies here was fun. I, I don't know what it is about this guy. I just really like him. Oh, well, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm all for a good man crush every now and again. Of course. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Um, that's their part of the plan. And I guess they're going to escape. They're going to meet up at, at the perimeter and then go from there. And of course, meanwhile, Huck is still pretending to work with Jadis and or slow her down. Um, and I think she's doing a great job too, but Huck says that her plan is to eventually identify a resistance within the CRM, right? If there's, if there was that one soldier that spoke up and ended up being a test subject, she figures there's got to be more. We just have to identify them. So um, she's going to do that. And she said, eventually go to the actual civil republic and uh, civic republic and inform the government there what's going on by their own military. Yeah. You got to let them know there's a coup happening. Like, I don't think we're ever going to see that happen. I'd be surprised. Oh, if, no, not in two episodes. No way. No. So uh, not going to happen in this show. I mean, that could have something down, be something down the road or in the movies or whatever, but uh, it's an interesting idea, you know, of what she's going to do and, and go do that. So, but her primary goal here or task here is to somehow, I think, misguide Jadis a little bit without letting her know she's being misguided. Mm-hmm. That's going to be tricky. Definitely going to be tricky. And then finally, one of my favorite parts of the episode is that Hope goes to get her boyfriend, Mason. Mm-hmm. So she runs off and you think 
that she's deviating from the plan here because she's like, oh my God, I want to save this guy. I want him to come with us. But, and she gets him and he comes. And then as soon as he shows up, they tie him to a post and you realize that this is all part of the plan because he is Major General Beale's son. And I thought the reveal in the episode was so simple, but it makes so much sense. And it was still surprising to me. I loved it. Yeah, it was very Ocean's Eleven. Uh, oh yeah yeah have you you've seen oceans 11 i hope yeah i've seen all of them i think yeah there was the uh the old guy that was getting sick and uh you know it seemed like he was uh fucking up the plan because he was getting sick and doing things that were strange but it, you know ultimately it was all part of the plan i'm sorry i spoiled oceans 11 now <laughs> you're on uh, a roll tonight so yeah once again uh the oceans 11 does it right because they tell you the plan but that's not the actual plan Right. So they tell you the plan. The plan goes awry. But at the end, they didn't tell you the plan after all. And the plan works perfectly. There you go. So that's uh, that's one of the the geniuses of Ocean's Eleven that I've spoiled. So, uh, yes, it seems like, you know, she's going off the plan, but ultimately it's uh, it's all part of the plan. So and she couldn't just walk up to him and said uh, and say things like, you know what? I need a hostage. Can you come with me for a second? Uh-huh. Because, you know, that kind of spoils it to him, spoils it to us. There's all kinds of problems with that. So she had to, uh, she had to fake it. Yeah, of course. But I just loved it because I-, I thought she really was going and doing something silly that was going to put them in jeopardy. And it turns out it was all part of the plan all along. So I thought that was really great. The only bit about it I didn't love is when he's tied up and he asks what's going on she doesn't give him all of the information she's very cryptic about what the crm has done and i couldn't really understand why she didn't just spell it out for him and say they killed a hundred thousand people we are getting out of here because these are bad folks maybe it's because her father presumably is the leader of all these people the ultimate leader of all these people and that might not convince him to go because he's actively fighting against his own father then. But I don't know. I kind of wished she'd just spelled it out and they'd moved on, but she didn't. No, she had uh, dribs and drabs. Information comes in dribs and drabs. That's, uh, that's the way it works in TV land. I, I guess when you're talking to your hostage too, it's usually the case. You don't want to give every, it's a need to know, right? You don't want to give, uh, what happened? What if he escaped? What if he got away? What if he had a radio? What if he had a, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, psychic bond with a, uh, a deer outside and was able to communicate this. <laughs> poor CGI a deer. deer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Poor CGI deer. And the deer was able to, uh, you know, use Morse code to, uh, clomp out the, uh, the message, you know, so you don't want to tell him too much cause you don't know. You just don't know what, uh, what kinds of psychic bonds he has. Yeah. Uh, with the various wildlife around the, uh, around the facility. So you got to be careful. I guess that makes a lot of sense. You got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> the deer, I don't know, but hey, being careful, smart. Yeah, you don't, you just, you don't know. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Uh, okay. Well, they're going to use him as leverage at some point, right? Hey, Major General Beale, we have your son, so let us go and we'll let him go. Yeah. When in doubt, take a hostage. Of course. You never know when <laughs> you might need one. That's just TV speak. That's not, you know, in real life. Don't do that. Got don't it. ever do that. Got it, got it, got it. All right. Well, before we move on to sort of the the final big third act action scene of of this episode, we get this bit 
in between where Huck and Jadis are there in her office and the guy from the perimeter comes to rat them out. So his name is Brody. So I don't have to call him the guy. He comes and he says, he, he's basically threatening uh, to reveal the plan, to threatening to reveal to Jadis Huck's true uh, intentions here. Yeah. And I thought his reasoning was quite believable, right? He found out that Indira made this secret deal with the CRM to guarantee her own life and health. And he's like, well, if she can do that, why can't I make a deal to do the same, right? He felt betrayed by her and that's why he comes and, well, betrays her. And so anyways, Huck ends up in this position where she either has to sort of give up the ruse or kill him and she chooses to kill him. Well, it's like he was, uh, he was asking her to shoot him in the head. I mean, as soon as this conversation started happening, she's, uh, he's directly threatening her saying you have until Jadis comes back in order to, uh, make a decision here, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I'm going to turn you in and I've got this plan and all this kind of stuff. She's, you know, the end of that conversation should be, should have been, uh, you're going to have to put a bullet in my head to stop me. Because that it was so telegraphed. It's just like, obviously, okay, this guy's got to die. There's no way around it. I mean, no. uh, that's the only that's the only outcome that is plausible in this situation. Or the whole friggin' show just ends here. Well, so she put a bullet in his head. She sure did. But uh, and I and I thought that was was great, <laughs> you know, for seeing someone get murdered. But uh, I, what I liked about it is it could have been easily, really kind of ham-fisted in right they need this this scene where huck comes this close to being uh revealed what do you call that is being made is that a term uh it's not like when when a spy is or a a double agent is revealed you're made or something or or if you're undercover and you're discovered uh yeah well you get you get made okay anyways huck is this close to being revealed (laughs) i'll go back to that and um but this guy's motivations are are valid, I think, and his feelings are valid, and it costs him his life. So uh, I thought it was pretty cool and fun to watch. And then Huck somehow is able to justify it, you know, as soon as oh, Jadis yeah. comes back in the room. Yeah, absolutely. I so, mean, I'd be able to do it. I'd be able to bullshit my way out of that situation. Yeah. Well, you and her, good bullshitters. Yeah. Uh, you know, not so much the shooting somebody in the head, but talking my way out of something, uh, you know, at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Sure. Pretty Why good. Not? <laughs> Why not? All right. So let's get to the perimeter execution scene then oh, and, and Elton as well. The worst fucking thing ever. <laughs> it was pretty bad. I don't think it was the worst thing ever. I think it was pretty good with a few little things here and there that, were kind of annoying. Okay, so can I nitpick a little bit, or you, do you have major plot point plot points you want to talk about? Well, I do, but let let's start with a few nitpicks. Tell me what you didn't like about it. Okay, so first of all, every time somebody moves a weapon, it makes a cocking sound. <laughs> so they the the rifles were pointed down, and then they moved them up, and they all went. Okay, just because they moved them, that just drives me fucking batshit crazy when that stuff happens. Welcome to TV. Doesn't that doesn't that happen with every gun ever depicted on film? I know, and I can rage at TV all I want for doing that because it's wrong. It's just plain wrong. Yeah, people need to stop doing that. It's like squealing tires when they're driving on dirt. We learned that lesson in the eighties. 
we did. I mean, the Dukes of Hazard, they squealed their tires all the time. They're driving on dirt roads. It's like, okay, that don't make no sense. <laughs> uh, when the and the time it took, the sheer volume of time, the eternity yep. of time it took to uh, issue the execution order, where everybody's standing there, it's just you know, okay. I have three separate problems with the amount of time it took. One, it took a long time. What? The, why are they standing there? Why does the orders to to, to open fire uh, take you know forty five minutes? You know, for the, even the first order to happen. If you're waiting that long, you're just you're inviting something to happen, right? Because yep. it's like, okay, I'm good. we're about to execute you. Here's the you know a dramatic pause. People are going to start freaking out and running. Right, they're not mm-hmm. going to stand there and just go. Oh well, I'm going to hold her hand because this is the end of it. Oh, look at the pretty leaf. It's a the nice leaf falling through the sky there. That's so pretty, uh, you know. And there's an ambush happening. Okay, so the ambush happens. What the fuck were they waiting for? Like, why were they waiting for the uh, the order to <laughs> fire? Uh, were they trying to be dramatic as well? Like, yeah. Well, they knew the order had come down. Why didn't they just start? Why were they waiting? They waited like a good 45 seconds after Jada said execute them all. Uh, and he said ready or whatever his first order was. And then they all just waited. Mm-hmm. Just waited there for a little while. You know, I, I'm tempted to wait 45 seconds now with dead air, but that it's just, I can't do it. I can't, uh, I, I can't make subject everybody listening to this <laughs> to that kind of fucking annoyance. Yep. Uh, and the, uh, I, I think that's all three of my uh, really big annoyances with this whole thing. Well, listen, I, I a hundred percent agree with you that they drew it out. They drew out that little bit unnecessarily and kind of just for dramatics you know what i mean like i don't remember what the orders were either but jadis says eliminate them all and then he 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 goes through at least like that that crm leader there goes through at least three different commands it was like firing positions and then, and then on my mark on my mark and then he says one and then or two does he go or whatever it was or something like, like that which what yeah? What mark are you talking about here, buddy? You're saying like four things after on my mark. Yeah, uh, I know. You know. If it's not followed by on my, on your mark, get set, go. Because it's pretty standard, right? <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. Right. Kind of thing. That's uh, <laughs> and the whole reason that's standardized is so everybody knows exactly when to go. Right. Totally. And he says on my mark, ready, one. And then it's just, okay. I know. I know. And I, it's dumb. It's dumb. But they, they do it for obviously some dramatic tension to draw it out a little bit and to delay revealing what's, what's about to happen. And I think sometimes that's okay. Here it was a little dumb, but it depends on whose perspective we're seeing. Because I think when you're seeing Will's perspective, he's hiding behind the corner, right? He's getting his gun out and he's getting ready to attack. I think in that case, it's dumb because things are happening in real time for him. And this real time is just being drawn out for no reason. But when we're seeing it from a perspective of like Elton, who's kneeling on the ground, you know, with the rest of the perimeter people, with the guns pointed at him, and he sees this leaf floating and he, you know, links fingers with Asha beside him and stuff like that. 
I feel like that's different because it's depicting his brain's perspective and your brain works really fast, right? So when he sees the leaf floating and he has this moment of peace and he kind of realizes what's about to happen to him, I can believe that's all, that all that's happening like super fast. And so the world around him is kind of going in slow motion a little bit, right? Yep. And so delaying the guy giving the order to fire is kind of like just Elton's brain's perspective on it all, like it's taking forever. And so when they do that kind of thing, it doesn't bother me as much as it does when Will is hiding behind a corner and things are just taking forever for no reason. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I do. I, I do. So if we're looking at a perspective where uh, the delay is, uh, you know, a mental uh, reaction. Fine. Right. right. That, that's all well and good, but they cut, a, they cut away from him. No, I know right? they do. And so they, they're mixing two things here and it's, it, it doesn't work exactly right. Uh, and I don't know if I had a hope or whether it was dread, but as soon as the, uh, Elton had that vision of the leaf and the sound changed and the music dropped away or changed, I forget exactly what happened. And, uh, there was nothing like there was this long dramatic pause. My brain went, holy shit, they're going to kill them. Yeah, me too. And I was, and I was, and I actually believed first for a little while that they were all going to die because yeah. I knew this was the end of a, uh, near the end of the season of uh, a show that will not have a third season. There's no reason not to kill everybody here. And in fact, there might be a reason to do it, to incentivize the other people that are actually going on, uh, actually, uh, you know, moving on with the story. Mm -hmm. I thought for a little while it made sense, uh, dramatically, uh, that pause and the change in the tone was just like, Okay, are they, oh, now they're just being shitheads. So I thought for a second that uh, they, that they were going to kill them all. And I kind of wish they did. So you were disappointed when it didn't happen that way. I'm a little disappointed, I have to say, because I thought that it would have been uh, a very big deal if yeah. the CRM had murdered this entire town, including some of our uh, intrepid heroes. Yeah, mostly Elton, right? I mean, we've just gotten oh, Elton, to know, yeah. we've just gotten to know Asha a little bit and um, uh, Indira. So I agree with you. What I thought was going to happen as soon as it went silent or close to silent and the leaf and the camera focused on the leaf floating down, I thought we were just going to hear the gunfire. We weren't going to see it. I thought we were just going right. to hear it. And you'd know what was happening. But I mean, it didn't play out that way. And I started thinking like... You know, are they really going to kill Elton? Would they kill Elton? Does, does he die here? Like, that's a big deal. But on the other hand, it's just Elton with mostly otherwise anonymous perimeter people. They definitely kill them. You know, the show loves killing yeah. red shirts. So I thought maybe Elton's going to be a sacrifice. Uh, he's there. He's with the girl he loves, apparently. You know, he's going to die with her. And like you said, it could be a motivating factor for the other characters that the CRM has killed hundreds of thousands of people. But what really pushes them over the edge is that they killed their buddy Elton. And like, that's a, Oh yeah. That's a really great kind of juxtaposition. I think it's a very Joss Whedon thing to do with, it, you know, it, on a show where Joss Whedon's not Whedon is not involved. Yeah. Well, no, uh, he, he, Joss Whedon, he or Joss, he will he would kill a character in order motiv in order to motivate somebody else, right? He's right. done that a number of times. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it you know, 
it's not unheard of. And I thought it would be a, a great idea to, to murder everybody. It, it also, for Elton specifically, like he hasn't had a lot to do this season. Let's be honest. He's been sort of stuck at the perimeter here for a while. And, but I did like when he sees this leaf and then he holds her hand and I feel like he's kind of embracing her spirituality a little bit. You know, we've seen all this stuff with them putting the flowers in the zombies eyes yeah. and the, the ceremony she goes through when they kill empties, uh, as they call them. And I, I don't know. I kind of liked the, the fact that Elton kind of didn't understand it before, but now sort of embraces it in this moment. And again, if he'd been killed in this moment, it would have, it would have served a lot of different <laughs> story here, I think. So it is kind of too bad that they didn't go through with it. Uh, yeah. Even though at the same time, I'm kind of glad he didn't die and all these people weren't just, you know, murdered gruesomely. So I can see both sides, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I kind of hope that I, I, I'm sad that it didn't go the other way. Yeah. Yeah, I know. The more I think about it, actually, the more I, I kind of wish uh, they'd, they'd done it, you know, but they didn't. So Will takes a shot. He starts the gunfight. Um, and then all of a sudden, Dennis and Silas show up. So good thing they were delayed by those zombies on the way uh, because they start shooting. It's kind of the double deus ex machina, right? There's uh, more than one person who uh, throws a wrench in the plan. Um I thought the gunfight was pretty good. It was, it felt it was a little okay. random, a little chaotic, like people were scrambling around a little bit. And, uh, there was so, a lot of people hiding behind fruit. Uh, you yeah. know, fruit's a good thing to hide behind because it's very splashy. It explodes uh, when you shoot it. Yeah. You shoot it, it explodes. And, uh, it's very dramatic to see, uh, mm -hmm. fruit exploding. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of people hiding behind fruit. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people hiding, you know, hunkering down behind things that were not anywhere near cover. They were mm -hmm. just, you know, things that you could shoot through pretty easily, like crates or barrels. Especially with or, the kind of guns that the CRM uses, yeah. Yeah, and then Dennis throws a grenade. Mm -hmm. uh, so he finds a grenade. Like, where'd you get the grenade? I don't know. But He pulled know, it later, off of one uh, of them. He pulled it off, yeah, yeah. I saw it later. I'm All like, right. okay, I got to go back and find out where he got that grenade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's just way too Anchorman for him to have a grenade. But he threw the grenade. Uh, which was, you know, fun, but then every, then the soldiers yell grenade and then kind of hunker down like they're going to be pelted with water balloons. It's like, you know, great grenades, when you see it coming, the idea is you get, you got three choices. You stand there and die. Uh, you run the fuck away. Like uh -huh. you just go, yep. uh, or you jump on top of it in order to save your buddies. Yes. Those are pretty much the only three options when you see it. If you don't see it, then, you know, all bets are off. You're probably going to die. But this grenade comes in and all they do is they just kind of hunch over a little bit and go, grenade. It's like, oh no, water balloons. Uh, so they hunker down, but then the grenade goes off and it's like the most massive explosion that I've ever seen uh, from a grenade. It, uh, you know, pretty much destroys an entire building. Well, it destroys the mill and there's more to this than I saw at first because Dennis grabs one of the radios or maybe has a radio and he instructs all the CRM soldiers to fall back to the mill. So he puts them all in the same place. Yeah. Uh, I guess knowing that having them clumped together is, is better to, a better way to take them out. I don't know if he knew he'd have a grenade at that point, but 
he does. And so he throws the grenade into the mill, which means it'll explode and take them all out at once. So like he was pretty smart, I think, in, in executing this plan um, and it worked. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. It was, you know, taking out a whole building with a grenade is fucking miracle. Well, it's, it, it's wonderful. And like what, six guys or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. You know, get enough guys together. That's the whole point of a grenade, right? You throw it into a building where there's a bunch of guys and uh, the bunch of guys go away. You don't have to <laughs> yes. deal with them anymore. That's, you know, part of the, part of the idea behind a grenade. Sure is. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, all the power to them for doing that, but, uh, it just, it seemed a little odd. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, but I do think that it wasn't a totally one-sided fight either. Like some of the perimeter people were shot. We saw at least a couple of them get shot and killed. Yep. Uh, you know, so it, it was, it felt kind of random and chaotic, the fight to a, to a degree and, uh, not just the faceless CRM soldiers were, were killed. So I thought it was pretty good. And then at the end, it's revealed that Dennis has taken a shot in the stomach. Uh, so we don't know if he's going to live or die. I really hope he lives because, as I said earlier, I'm kind of in love with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a survivable place. I mean, there's other places to get shot where you definitely can't survive. But, oh, yeah. you know, getting winged in that area, if TV has taught me anything, that kind of area is is survivable. I mean, if Mark yeah. Watney can survive a spike going through that very area, we uh, this guy can survive a, a bullet. I hope so. I hope so. Because the other thing is, I really want him, if he is going to die, I want him to be able to get one last goodbye with Huck. Because I was skeptical of that pairing at first. But now, I don't know. I, I really like it. So uh, I don't want him to die without seeing Huck again. I mean, they are married after all. They, they are. And it would be, it would be a tragedy for sure. I mean, uh, you know, where he got shot is survivable where yep. Brody got shot. Not so much like right, right in the noodle. Uh, yes, not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, well, just having said that people have survived that kind of injury before, like the guy who got a spike through his skull. I think uh, you've got to be remarkably lucky. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I mean, any, anything else, Jason, that covers the episode for me. I thought it was amazing and God, it'll be nice if, if this season, uh, sort of culminates on two more really good episodes, it'll be a really solid finish to uh, world beyond. I think. I, I should hope so. I should, I should hope that, uh, that we'd have a solid ending and, uh, you know, let's, let's dial it back on the soldiers, the CRM soldiers with their fuckery. Because uh, they just piss me off every time they're on screen. But again, that's probably because of uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, which we'll get to a little bit later, and that I saw first. Well, if you've got nothing else on World Beyond, we can get to Fear the Walking Dead right now. Sure. Fear the Walking Dead, Season 7, Episode 6. It was called Reclamation. It also aired last night, November 21st, and... Oh boy. So I'm going to start here with Happy Jack from Victoria, BC. Happy Jack says, oh man, the nuclear fallout stuff just ruins it for me. The Storylines were already out there before the bombs. Bye bye, Al. Another one quits the show. And he wanted me to sing that in the Queen melody for another one bites the dust, but not going to do that. Oh, you can't do Freddie Mercury. No. Like, there's no way. You just 
Just don't do it. Not going to even try. I applaud that decision you've made, Christopher. Thank you. Happy Jack continues, I hope fear never merges with The Walking Dead as fear has become a dumpster fire since the damn reset. Damn dumpster fire. (sighs) Yeah. So, okay. So this episode was all about Al and what she's been doing, what she's trying to do, and... Apparently, this was Maggie Grace's last appearance on the show this season. So she's basically off the show. Uh, I I didn't know that, but my gut instinct at this point is, oh, thank God. (laughs) Well, that comes right from the showrunner's mouth. So we're not going to see Maggie Grace as Althea again in uh, season seven. We don't know about season eight. In fact, it hasn't officially been renewed for season eight yet, but... Nobody knows about season eight then, I guess. No, but the fact that they haven't said this is it kind of makes everyone feel like, well, they're going to do more. Anyways, this is it for Mal, uh, for Al. And so what we're watching here is her search more or less for Isabel, or at least her desire to get away and, and be on her own. Ultimately, she decides to go to find Isabel, who is the CRM pilot that she got involved with. But it's told through the typical video footage style, at least partially. But this time it is footage of Isabel filming Al at some point in the past after they they found each other. And you mix in with that things that are happening in the present time, Al trying to stay ahead of the CRM and dealing with Morgan who's hanging around trying to convince her to come back and like rejoin the group and not just run off by herself and film things and interview people. And for the most part, I thought this episode was really, really bad. Oh, it was horrible. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I spent, uh, I watched this uh, earlier, probably early afternoon. And I, you know, in the back of my mind, as I was uh, continuing to work and to do various things, I'm trying to think of something I liked about this episode, and I can't think of anything. Uh, and I, I still, I still can't think of anything that I actually enjoyed. It was the fucking horrible mess. It, uh, it pissed me off from, uh, from the get go. Yeah, the the show is finding somehow ways to outdo itself in the crap department every week. You know. I, I genuinely thought episode one and two of this season were okay. Uh, not bad at all, really. They had some problems, of course, but not terrible. And then it started to go downhill, and somehow it's just getting worse and worse. You think they hit rock bottom, and then they do something like this. So speaking of things that are good about this episode, Jason, I'm going to start with an email here and a call, because there was one or two things that I didn't mind. And and we're going to start here with Lisa and Richard in Victoria, Australia, who write, thank goodness, Al finally breaks that bloody camera. No more of that painful interview footage and home video stuff we have put up with for far too long. (laughs) So I agree. Here, here. here. Blake breaks the camera, moves on from that whole conceit. Uh, Sadly, it's her last episode, so we won't see her doing anything without the camera. But hey, I was happy she broke it at the end. But Lisa and Richard go on. 
She finds her love, Isabel, who's hiding in the cabin, and after a long-winded conversation that could have taken a minute, Al admits to what she has always felt. I love you, and I want this relationship to work, so let's blow this pop stand and get the hell out of Dodge. I was happy that the showrunners decided not to kill off Al or Isabel. We finally get a Fear the Walking Dead version of a happy ending, as Al stops chasing stories and chases Isabel instead. It seems that we have said our goodbye to the connection between Fear, uh, The Walking Dead, and the CRM now that Al and Isabel have walked off into the sunset. So the fact that she broke the camera, the fact that she found Isabel or went back to her and they've decided to sort of go off together into the sunset, I do agree with Lisa and Richard that I think that's okay. I like that. It is this show's version of a happy ending for these two characters and why not? You know, I'm okay with that. Well, yeah. I mean, a character didn't leave the show in abject miser- misery. So good on them. <laughs> or dead, right? So Or dead, whatever. So so good on them, exactly. Um, and the whole idea that this kind of severs the connection between fear and the CRM, after watching the depiction of the CRM in this episode, boy, I think that's a positive too, because this yeah. show does not seem to know how to handle the CRM. And I know I get that this is taking place four or five or whatever years before the events of World Beyond. So maybe the CRM is completely different four years down the road and they're way more organized and stuff like that. But holy shit, were they incompetent in this episode, these two soldiers? Oh, they were completely useless. Uh, you know... <laughs> I had so many problems with these two soldiers uh, right from the get-go, like leaving the helicopter to uh, why would you have a, two helicopter pilots be the foot soldiers? It's like send a friggin' team of people in the helicopter to do your groundwork. If you want people in a helicopter, give them jobs to do in a helicopter. If you want people on the ground running around doing uh, you know, soldier stuff, Put some soldiers on that. I know. Uh, you're really taxing these people a little too hard, I think. But they're just so useless. Like, this is supposed to be a reclamation team. So the, the concept here is that um, Isabel was a pilot. She went AWOL to uh, help Al and, and Al's friends escape the nuclear blast and then went into hiding because she knew they'd be coming after her. And so this reclamation team of two useless soldiers come after Al to find out where Isabel has gone and kind of wipe them off the map, right? As if they never existed. So it doesn't even feel like the same organization to me. Like I said, you know, these two are so useless and it's just so glaringly different that I I have a hard time connecting what we see on World Beyond with the CRM and how efficient Jadis is and really everybody on that show in terms of the soldiers in the CRM with these two idiots. I I don't understand. Like, I feel like this is a failing on Gimple's part because he's the guy who's supposed to oversee all this. Shouldn't he be ensuring that the shows feel like they're in the same universe? Because I don't think they do at this point, not with the way they're depicting this anyways. I'm not sure this show is in any universe at this point. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you know, they get, uh, you know, Morgan and I'll get pinned down in under, a. uh, some kind of elevated highway with a bunch of cars. So these two soldiers, uh, you know, ambush them and they shoot and they shoot and they shoot, but they have, uh, they conveniently uh, give uh, Morgan and Al 
enough time to have an entire fucking conversation. Oh yeah. Uh, during the various times that they're pinned down. It's just, well, if you're going to pin them down and then, uh, try and flank them in order to shoot them from a different angle, then, then don't give them a chance to just sit there and go, okay, where are they now? I don't know where they are. Well, we could better run. It was just the whole, yeah, that was terrible. That whole scene was terrible. And I understand we need Al and Morgan to have these conversations and talk and share information and stuff. But I think maybe when they're trying to escape, these two soldiers might not be the right time, you know? Yeah, there's a time to have a conversation and there's a time to run for your lives because you're being fucking ambushed. Right. Uh, this was the time to have a conversation, apparently. And the masks come off. I mean, they explained it, you know, the masks won't matter if we're dead, which makes sense, or the radiation won't matter if we're dead. Uh, but they had to have a conversation, so the masks had to come off, right? Yeah. So well, that, that, there's that whole thing. I have a whole thing here on the masks and just sort of the show dealing with this nuclear fallout. And I wrote down, you know, I feel like it's a small thing. And in some ways, maybe I'm contradicting myself when I say you have to ignore certain things to like an episode, because I have said that, you know, sometimes something that bothers me an episode, I'm like, you know what, it, I can ignore that or, or, or it's just not that big a deal and it shouldn't take away from my enjoyment of the episode. But these goddamn masks going on and off all the time just bothers me so much because it makes me feel like, it makes me feel like the writers wanted to do the nukes so bad but then they didn't want to have to deal with the story comp, uh, complications that it would bring. The, the fallout. The fallout, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak, right? So it's like, do the nuke storyline fine. If you really want to do that, that's fine. But know what you're getting yourself into when you do that and make sure you're prepared to deal with it. it it's just such BS that they find excuses to take the masks off and then on and like, Good Lord, everyone has a Geiger counter all of a sudden. It's like they just appeared out of nowhere so they can what, use them. you don't have a Geiger counter? No. I mean, maybe, but... What do you I mean don't, maybe? I don't, no, I don't have one. And <laughs> nobody I know has one. So, like, suddenly... Well, I told like, you I had one. Do you have one? I don't have one. I live near a nuclear power plant and I don't have one. This seems like an oversight to me at the moment. So, I might get one. Okay, well, fine. That's fine. But like if 0.00001% of the population owns their own Geiger counter, and I bet you it's not even that high, uh, you know, I still don't think everyone in this show would have one, yet suddenly they're they're plentiful. The only thing, okay, and I wouldn't even know where to get one. Like I might, right. I'm sure you could order them on Amazon, but, you know, in, you know, say Amazon doesn't exist anymore because there's a zombie apocalypse of some kind yeah. or, you know, nuclear weapons going off. Mm -hmm. If I had to think... Where would I get a Geiger counter? The only thing I can think of is to put my shoes on and walk towards the nuclear power plant because I bet they got a Geiger counter in there somewhere. Yep. Uh, but <laughs> walking towards that thing in order to find out if there's radiation in some kind of nuclear emergency seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, so I wouldn't even yeah, know where okay. to get one. But but this is my point. It's like they do- Where are they going to get a beer-shaped uh, you know, hot air balloon? You know, beer can shaped hot air balloon. Uh, they found one. Uh, where are they going to get an airplane to fly over a mountain that needs to be flown over instead of walked around or driven over? Yeah. You make it. 
You just, you, you make it. Well, okay, you need gas for uh, the AMRAM or whatever. What are you going to do? You take the helicopter gas because the helicopters run off a of diesel apparently, uh, or at least the fuel is compatible. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but. Al said the, 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 um, the truck's diesel would burn the helicopter fuel. So I don't know that that's see that's the kind of thing where i'm like you know i don't know any different so i can let that pass it may be complete bs but i can ignore that to enjoy the episode well you know aviation fuel is highly refined the idea behind aviation fuel is to get as much energy into the lightest weight possible so you have to have something that is highly combustible or i don't even know if that's that's true but you have to have something that is highly refined Right. And it's it's kind of like kerosene. Uh, so jet fuel is sort of like kerosene, but, you know, also lots of other shit in there. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know much about it, but I don't know if diesel is like kerosene. I know diesel is sort of like uh, uh, heating fuel, like fuel for your home uh, is diesel, but they put coloring in it so you don't siphon out the fuel from your home and put it in your diesel truck uh, <laughs> because it's taxed differently. There's a whole thing. But I really don't think that, helicopter fuel is compatible with uh, a diesel engine. Well, that's, that's a good example of something that I, that I personally can say, yeah, just ignore it, whatever, it'll be fine. But then the whole like masks, I can't ignore. And just to finish my point on that, like they do the nukes, but I don't feel like the writers were prepared for what they were getting into because they make up excuses. The wind is blowing the right direction. Like, fuck oh, off. Yeah, perfect. Fuck off. Come on. Like, really? A nuclear explosion and the wind is blowing the right direction? That's so stupid. And and I just feel like, writers, you got yourself into this mess, and if you weren't up to the task of, of writing around it, you shouldn't have done it. And I don't think they were up to the task. So, uh, yeah. It pisses me off that, that we had to go through all of that, and here we are now, and the show is you know, even stupider because of it. <laughs> They've written themselves into a corner. Right. And they don't seem to know how to get out of it. So, um, yeah. So they're in this, this ambush thing. And then Grace shows up in the Mad Max mobile, mm-hmm. right. In order to save them. And then she, uh, she opens the door and says, hop in. And then they have another conversation. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and they wait a long time and nothing happens. And then they're waiting some more. The door's open. She's sitting there. Car's not doing anything. They're standing there. They're they're crouched down behind some broken down vehicles. Uh, they have a conversation. You know, they sit down. They make a meal. Uh, <laughs> you know, they tell they tell each other ghost stories. Uh-huh. Then they get they run and get in the car and drive away. Yeah, and it, and it works. Right, of course, it takes a little while. <laughs> yeah, no, I know it's it was it was all so so bad. I I don't understand. Um, I'm gonna play a call here from Dan who brings up something that I think a lot of people had questions about. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Dan in New Jersey. I am, as always, glad to listen to your podcast. I (laughs) made my way through Fear the Walking Dead again this week. It's really crazy how these actors seem to do a really good job and some of the lines that they're given are good, but the, the ridiculous, bizarre situations just... They really take me out of it a lot. Um, who was babysitting Mo while Morgan and Grace were trying real hard to get themselves killed? Civil War cannon. There's just, it's so weird. Anyway, 
Uh, World Beyond, I feel like, has gotten a lot better, and I've been enjoying it. So anyway, as always, love you guys. Uh, look forward to listening to more of the podcasts. I think I'm going to keep slogging through fear, and uh, yeah, as long as AMC Plus doesn't cut me out again. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, thanks, Dan. The, the AMC Plus, incidentally, has been working okay for me since they uh, got their shit sorted out. So let me ask you this question. Dan uh, mentioned who is looking after baby Mo while Morgan and Grace are out doing their thing. Jason. Yeah. Is this a, is this a question you had while you watched this episode? It feels like it was, but I think I might have uh, been distracted by some other shit that really pissed me off. So uh, I... It feels like I did wonder it, but I am wondering it now for sure. Okay. Didn't they didn't they find a dog? They found a dog, right? Uh, was there a dog? No, Rufus Rufus died a couple episodes oh, again, man. remember? That was my only hope was that the dog was taking care of the baby. No. You know, that's the thing about babies is you uh if you put them in a locked room or you know, like a closet or something and leave them in there, fine. They'll be <laughs> fine for a couple of days. <laughs> I mean, especially on a submarine, right? Yeah, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? <laughs> no, here's the thing. I wanted to bring this up because I think a lot of people seemed confused about this or had this question because I did take a look at the Fear the Walking Dead subreddit and this had come up a lot too. But the thing is, it was explained in the episode what was going on. Really? Yeah. So near the beginning of the episode, before Morgan has found Al, he finds her stuff and the MRAP and... He picks up her camera and he's recording a video on the camera, assuming she'll watch it. And he says that um, the others came back to the sub. And so, and then that's confirmed later on in the episode too. They actually talk about it for a brief moment. But what happened is everybody else Al was with, so like Charlie and Daniel and Lucy and, and everybody else, they, and, and Sarah, they came back to the sub and reunited with Morgan and Grace and baby Mo at the sub. So they're all living there now. Oh, okay. So they're taking care of the baby and that was all in the episode. And, and uh, so I was sort of wondering why no one picked up on that, but it was there. The thing I don't get about it is you have this beautiful bed and breakfast in an area that is not yellow with nuclear Holocaust or fallout. And yet they all go to live on the sub for some reason, which is near a blast site and you can't go outside without taking a mask on and off 20 times. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get that, but at least I think you're crazy. I mean, if I had safe. an opportunity to go live on a sub, I think I'd go live on a sub, except for the fact that I'm not sure I would fit on a sub anymore and I'm uh, claustrophobic. So I probably wouldn't go in the sub, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if somebody offered to allow me to live on a sub, I'd think twice about it before rejecting it. You wouldn't fit on a sub. For some reason, I find that funny. <laughs> yeah, it's super funny. I find it hilarious. <laughs> uh, I was watching a, a video of uh, on YouTube of this guy who went in. Uh, apparently, there's this World War II sub that you can book for an overnight stay. So him and his two daughters booked this sub for an overnight stay. And it's like a museum, and there's areas you can go and areas you can't go. Uh, but you can stay in the mess room and you can sleep and there's some bunks you can sleep in and sure. uh, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, he opened up the hatch or the hatch was open and he had to, you know, climb down the hatch 
And uh, I was looking at that hatch and I'm like, there's no fucking way I'd go down that hatch. I mean, the idea of booking a sub for an overnight stay seems like a wonderful idea. But then once he shone the, you know, the camera down the hole, I'm like, there's no way you'd get me down that fucking hole. I think I would do it. I, I did the submarine too. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast at some point, but I did the, the USS Midway tour, which I, the one in San Diego, there's a, it's an And aircraft. you actually go in the sub, like you yeah. go down a hatch, you climb down a ladder and go wander around the sub. They didn't like cut away a big section where it's in a museum and you can walk up to it and go, oh, that's a sub. No. But it's like a big cutaway. Well, I was going to- I'd love to do the cutaway thing, but I was, climbing down a goddamn ladder. I was going to say there's, it's an aircraft carrier, right? And there's one in San Diego and there's one in New York too. And I've done both. I think the, I think the Midway, I'm not sure which one is which. Anyways, the one in- San Diego has a sub that you can go in and yeah, it's not a, like a cutaway of a sub. The sub is in the water and you go inside it. At least when I was there, this was many years ago. Um, and you go through the sub and I thought it was really cool. So I didn't feel any, um, claustrophobia or nervousness. So I think if there was an Airbnb on a sub, I'd go spend a night there. That'd be cool. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, the idea of going to live on a sub really is appealing to me, except for, you know, I wouldn't want to do it. It just, it's conflicting and I understand it and I feel conflicted about it. It just seems like a really cool idea, but in, in all practical senses, there's no way you'd get me on that sub. Yeah, fair. Well, yeah. So the Midway is the one in San Diego. That was the first one I did. Uh, I forget now what the one in New York is called. It wasn't quite as good i didn't think but still fascinating in new york they had a space shuttle so that was kind of cool <laughs> ah yeah space shuttle be cool very cool i'd spend the night on a space shuttle too why not uh sure. all right um where are we here so i guess the the main the the last thing we need to talk about here is the whole plan that they <laughs> that they execute to get the crm soldiers off their case basically and it involves luring them to this place. Maybe it was where Al and everybody are were holed up originally, the B&B. Uh, I'm not even sure, to be honest. But there's this old cannon that still works, apparently. Of course. Of course. Oh, it's hard to break a cannon. I guess so, yeah. But anyways, it's a cannon. So they rig it up and they end up filling it Al fills it with rocks and then they shoot it at the CRM soldiers who they've kind of tricked to stand right in front of it. Uh-huh. And they just explode into a million pieces. These Yeah, two because the uh, the rocks that shoot out of the cannon only spread out in one direction. They don't they only spread it out from left to right. They did not spread out from top to bottom because Al was lying on the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh and so if, you know, they if they spread out up and up and down, Yep. And uh, she definitely would have been in the blast radius. So her, so luckily, that they only spread out from left to right. It's it's very lucky, yeah. But her her original plan was to she had a rope tied around her waist, right? And so she'd uh -huh. be standing in front of the cannon with the CRM soldiers in front of her, and she was gonna hit the deck, which would pull the rope, which would fire the cannon and as you said it fires right over her because she's face down on the ground and hits, uh -huh. hits them standing there so it doesn't work out that way exactly because morgan and grace show up with the big truck and they park in between the cannon 
and where Al ends up standing and with the CRM soldiers. So instead, they surprise them by driving the truck out of the way. Morgan pulls the rope to fire the cannon, and Al does the same thing. She hits the ground, and the soldiers get shot with rocks. But here's where it all breaks down for me. One of the places, anyways. She uses this rope, which when put when tension is put on it, when it's pulled, it fires the Cameron, uh, Cameron cannon. Yes. <laughs> and they've set this up and then a zombie comes along and walks into the rope, mm-hmm. essentially putting tension on it, but the cannon doesn't fire. It just pops the rope out of the cannon. So that's right. What the hell? Like, do you pull the rope to fire it or not? Or does it somehow know that a zombie tripped over it? And so, oh, that was a zombie. I'm not going to fire. I'll just pop the rope out. Like, that's so stupid. Well, maybe the cannon is is a sentient weapon, much like Lucille or uh, Daryl's crossbow. It knows what is going on and it knows what it's, uh, um, I I assume subordinates because anything that any sentient weapon I've ever uh, encountered uh, is in charge, right? right? There's no, there's, it doesn't listen to anybody. It's like, it has its own agenda and it will achieve its goal by using you and everyone, you know, <laughs> in order to get whatever it wants. I don't know what the cannon wants, but it knows that the CRM should not be involved in, uh, getting what it wants. Well, I appreciate your sentient weapon theory because it does apply to all the other sentient weapons on this show, but yeah. I think we can all agree that this is horseshit. Uh, yeah, no, it's absolute complete garbage. And uh, the only, uh, these CRM soldiers, okay, there's another uh, fight with these soldiers that I want to talk about. Oh, oh yeah, I know, I know. Well, uh, I sort of skipped over that, but we'll get to that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, so the only way I can explain these soldiers is that uh, their inter- internet connection is really bad because the lag that they're experiencing is uh, <laughs> is detrimental to their to, to their lives, and that's what happens when you're playing a video game and your lag sucks so hard that you get murdered before you you can even figure it. Your frame rate drops to like zero, and you're like <laughs> stuck there, and you don't know what's going on. Yep. And all of a sudden, your frame rate picks up again, and you're dead. That's the only way I can explain these two soldiers is that uh, their frame rate dropped to zero because uh, Morgan yells, uh, "Al, now or down or whatever," he yells. And then she drops to the ground and then the truck drives away and they're pointing weapons at her, right? It's just like, okay, you know, they're pointing weapons at her and okay, they're executing a plan. What do you do? Well, obviously you fucking stand there because what else are you going to do? Right. You're going to fire your weapon? That's a dumb idea. We've learned that that doesn't work from the previous fight that we'll talk about later, but they just stand there like complete morons. It's like, well, I'll just let them execute the plan. And we'll see where we are after that. Well, that's the thing. They just finished firing their guns at the side of the MRAP too, this armored vehicle, which is going to do nothing, but I guess they figured they'd give it a shot. But but you're right. So the truck is parked in between the cannon and Al and the soldiers. And this truck has to, yeah, drive out of the way first because it's, it's obscuring their view of the cannon and the cannon's firing uh, line, line of fire, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the truck has to first drive out of the way and then Morgan has to fire it at them. And so that truck, I don't think that thing has great zero to 60 acceleration. And also I don't think it was even running, uh, before Grace like hit the gas who was in the, she was in the driver's I thought I heard it. I thought I heard it running. I thought I heard it idling. Cause I remember thinking that thing's running on helicopter fuel. 
And it sounds just like oh. diesel to me. Okay. But what do I know? Okay, maybe. Right? Maybe. Even they if make, it was running. They well. make military vehicles. Like, this is not a military vehicle. This is a, a SWAT vehicle, but it's based on a military vehicle. They make mil- military vehicles that can run on fucking anything. You could pour engine oil into the ga- into the gas tank. It would run just fine. Put cooking oil in there, gasoline, whatever. Okay. The M1 tank, the M1 Abrams tank, uh, it has jet engines in there. And it will run on whatever you put in the gas tank. Oh, yeah. Because- uh, you know, you could you could friggin' spit and piss in there, and the damn thing would run. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why not? It's why a tank. Not? Sure. You, you know, the last thing, you know, what do you call a tank that, uh, I'm making up a joke on the spot here, it's not actually a joke, so be warned. But what do you call a tank that doesn't, it's running out of gas? I don't know, Jason, what do you call a tank that's running out of gas? It, nothing. It's just a fucking huck of metal. metal. It doesn't <laughs> do anything. So, like I said, not a joke, but... Uh, you know, if it's not running, it's not useful. So make it so it can run on pretty much anything. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe that's right. I just meant, I thought they turned it off like when they parked it there. And, and so she had to like, you know, oh, turn the key di- and hit the, hit the gas. Diesel vehicles, you just leave running. Yeah. Okay. Right. You just leave them running because it takes, uh, it takes a long time to warm up a diesel engine. So, right. uh, you, you know, you turn off a gasoline engine. Uh, but a diesel engine, you just let it run. Okay. So then they make cars now that turn off when you stop. That's you know true. That? Does yeah. your car do that? Uh, sometimes, well, my car's a hybrid, so the gas engine goes off and it sits there on the battery for a while sometimes. I rented a car one time. Every time it was just a gas car and every time I stopped, the engine would turn off. Uh, as soon as I touched the gas again, it would turn on again and we'd go. Yeah. I had the it same would... experience with a rental car once. I didn't like it. It was disconcerting at first until I figured out what was going on. So it's just like, why is the engine starting? Like I'm, I'm at a stoplight. Why yeah. is the engine starting? Okay, fine. It's, it's turning off, which is fine. Just tell me about it beforehand. Yeah, I had a similar experience, but anyways. All right. So if the, if the MRAP was, was idling, fine. I still feel like you're absolutely right. Like Al would, or Morgan yells something. The truck has to slowly putter out of the way. Al has to hit the ground, and meanwhile, the soldiers are standing there with a zero frame rate, not knowing what to do. Yeah. And they don't do anything, and they end up getting just obliterated by the rocks. Uh, So the whole thing was just dumb and completely outside the realm of possibility. And, And if they were this incompetent, which they were, these soldiers, you know, I think I tried to say earlier, it's just such a disconnect for me between the CRM on this show and the CRM on World Beyond. And I don't understand how they can make these two shows, one which is getting so good, in my opinion, and has depicted the CRM pretty well all along, let's let's be honest, and this one that is just going, circling the fucking drain and depicting the same organization in such a different way. I don't, I think they need to have more consistency, at least in that regard. Yeah. Um, you know, these are lowly soldiers. I mean, sure, they're pilots and everything, but I think of them as uh, uh, as stormtroopers from Star Wars, right? They're pretty dumb uh, <laughs> in general. And not even the smart ones like they put on the the speeder bikes on uh, Endor or the, the forest moon of Endor. I don't know if that's the name of the planet, the moon, or whether it's a moon around a planet named Endor. Anyway, on the forest moon of Endor, whatever it is, they have those, uh, the speeder bike pilots. Those guys seem pretty smart, right? Biker scouts, yes. Biker scouts, whatever. 
but if you need to staff a Death Star and you need like 3.4 million stormtroopers in order to staff that thing, you're pretty much scraping the bottom of the barrel. It's just, you know, you show up for an interview and it's like, this is what you're going to do when you're hired. Instead of going through an actual interview process, it's like, here, uh, you know, uh, you know, you come in for an interview and they fit you for a goddamn outfit. I know they're all clones. I get it. I understand. But those stormtroopers are pretty goddamn dumb. Yes. Right. They walk through a door, they whack their heads. You uh-huh. know that. Yes. Right. So that's what I'm thinking <laughs> that these CRM soldiers are. They're just the lowly, they don't even ever show their faces. They're, they don't even really talk. All they can do is count, uh, you know, really slowly and inconsistently. Uh, but Morgan does the same thing. Get to that. Uh, I just, I think of them as the, the dumbest friggin' stormtroopers ever. They can't hit shit. They don't know what to do. They don't have any kind of leadership whatsoever. They're not even like, uh, TIE fighter pilots. Like at least All a right. TIE fighter pilot has some kind of intelligence, I would assume. Well, I, I take your point, but I think what I'm trying to say is I wish it wasn't like that. You know, why yeah. do they have to be so dumb? Why do they have to be so incompetent? It's so our heroes can go through this other dumb storyline that makes no sense. You know, this- I asked myself that same question about most of the people I meet every day. <laughs> why do they have to be so dumb? All right. <laughs> so you're saying it's realistic. <laughs> it's, well, you know, I don't encounter this kind of idiocy, but, uh, you know, how long does it take to- pay for a coffee at Tim Hortons. Like, it's just like, what are you, why are you describing? Like the, I'm getting my coffee tonight. There's somebody in front of me that is holding out a used cup in order to explain something to the person that is supposed to be delivering their order that they've already ordered. What, why, why are you having a conversation? What can this conversation possibly be about? I'm sure to them it was important. Yeah, it is fine. I mean, sure, it lasted 30 seconds, and that's 30 seconds I'll never get back. But, you know, why do people have to be so dumb? I assume that they were complete idiots and they were describing, I want the cup, I want the coffee in this container and not that regular container that you do. And they, that they have to explain this every time they get to the goddamn window. It's just, you know, live with it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's a multinational corporation that has standards and practices that, uh, you're just, you're delaying me by 30 seconds and I don't appreciate it. Dumbass. Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe they had good intentions, but we'll never know. Let's rewind a little bit in this episode to the scene you're talking about. And this is where Morgan and Grace are captured off screen somehow and put at gunpoint on the ground, right? Uh-huh. So they escape from, from that. Yeah. So they're, they're on the ground at gunpoint. Al's on the radio with these soldiers and the soldiers are trying to use them to convince Al to give up the information about Isabel, the location, stuff like that. And we don't see how Grace and Morgan got captured, which is a shame because I feel like that would have been a more exciting scene. Um, but maybe the writers didn't feel they could show us because these two soldiers are so useless. Otherwise there'd be no plausible explanation for them actually capturing these two, but that's just me. Yep. Anyways, they're down on the ground. They have them at gunpoint and the, the soldier is, starts shooting around Morgan's head instead of through it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's weird. Well, he's making a point, right? And if you're going to make a point, you make it with bullets. Right. If you want to, if, if you want to, uh, convince somebody that you're serious, you shoot near them. That's what you do. Right. That's what, uh, that's what, uh, uh, 
uh, Dharma, what's her name, did in the last episode where, uh, you know, she was on the horseback. Uh, no, it was, uh, damn it. What's, they were on horses, the dark horse folks. Yeah. Uh, she was shooting at their feet to try and get their attention. Right, right. Right. So that's what you do is when you want to get somebody's attention, you shoot near them because that's the safest and best way to make a point. You're talking about Sherry. Right? Sherry, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. So they're trying to make a point. But I also thought to myself, we've been told that this reclamation team's entire purpose out here is to, uh, well, f- find Isabel, basically, but also kind of eliminate all these people as if they you know, never existed to keep help keep the CRM secret. So... Why not just kill Morgan and Grace? I don't want to, I'm not saying I wanted to see them die in this scene, but it seems like the CRM soldiers mandate would have been to kill these two and move on and continue searching for Al and trying to find her, but they don't. They, they try to use them to extract the information, which I guess is lucky for Morgan. It doesn't work because then he manages to disarm one of them. From his back on the ground, I think he kicked him in the crotch, which is great. <laughs> well, he, the, the guy. Okay, I have. There's so much wrong with this. So much. So the the soldier that's pointed his weapon at at Morgan in order to uh, execute him, he says, "I'm going to shoot the the male or whatever it was." He turns off his safety. Uh, and then not only is he pointing the weapon at Morgan, but he moves closer to Morgan because that's what you do. And when you have somebody on the ground, you move to within a couple inches of his chest. Uh, and we've all, we've talked about what you do when you have a firearm, it's a ranged weapon, right? You don't get close enough where your weapon is grabbable. Yeah. Maintain range. Okay. So that's the second part is that he, you know, he got within uh, grabbable range of, uh, of Morgan. He has been for a whole time. And then Morgan struggles with this guy. So not only does he struggle with this guy, but the guy has the weapon strapped to his body. So does the other person. I think it might've been a woman, but I'm not sure. I'm not they never sure. Took, they never raised their, their, they were wearing stormtrooper outfits, not even the regular masks, but other different masks with gas masks on them. They were really well equipped for this uh, post nuclear wasteland. But, uh, so Morgan is able to struggle with this guy. Not only is he able to struggle with this guy, but Grace is able to kick him to assist Morgan in struggling with this guy. Morgan grabs the weapon and raises it to the other soldier. The other soldier who is providing cover for this whole situation uh, is unable to get a shot off in the 15 seconds it took Morgan to have this struggle in order to, uh, and to disarm him and to be able to point a weapon at her. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it boggles my mind. It boggles like, the mind. I mean, the second soldier should have been farther away. You know, if one of them is, is right up close with the two of them on the ground, you know, that's fine. The other one can stay farther away as kind of like backup cover almost. Right. Yeah. But no, they're both right on top of them. And no, it, none of this makes any sense. It is absolutely ridiculous and implausible. And then speaking of why not just kill people, Morgan picks up this gun and he doesn't kill the soldiers. Why doesn't he just shoot them and kill them and get them off their back? They instead, sorry, instead they go and do this whole stupid ass cannon plan just so we can have a scene of human bodies exploding into mush. Instead, Morgan has a, 
a high-powered military rifle and and two people to kill, one of whom is kneeling on the ground with his hand up going, no, don't, you know? Yeah. It, and, and then he counts to three. And yeah. I, you know, I have a five-year-old. I've counted to three many times. You know, I'm, you know it's going to be one, two, don't make me say three. Two and a half. You yeah. better start doing what I'm asking you to do. You don't make me say three. Like, if you're going to start counting the three, you and you and if something's going to happen and that at three, you better be prepared to execute that plan. Yep. Because they will learn pretty goddamn quick that if you never get the three, you will never get the three. Right. Like it will never happen. And you that there are no consequences for whatever it is that you're doing. So Morgan is like one, two. Better do what I'm asking you to do. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. I know. Just <laughs> pull the trigger. I mean, pull oh the trigger. Your Everybody whole, should have pulled the trigger like many times in this scene. Morgan's, the whole thing is they want these, they're trying to get away from these soldiers. And he has, he has an easy opportunity to solve that problem right then and there. And he doesn't do it. And it's all for stupid story intrusion or whatever you know yeah. like like we need to get to this other scene which we think is cool so we need to get there um and then to top this whole thing off right grace is able to run over to the truck get in it and then drive it straight at them struggling on the ground with and like what's her plan she's just gonna run over morgan and this guy like they just roll out of the way at the last second uh yeah because the you know, starting the truck and, and it's a fucking train. It does not run like zero to 60. Like you said, it does not go from zero to 60 in three seconds. No. Like this thing is just like, you know, having a big truck, like a transport truck that starts driving. Yeah. It takes a while. Like there's like yes. four gear changes before it gets up to speed to get through the goddamn intersection. Like <laughs> it's going to take a while. But even if it didn't, even if it did have amazing acceleration, like what's she doing? She's going to run over her friend who's right there. And it actually is very close the way it's shown in the episode, right? Like if it was the two CRM soldiers standing there and she's going to run them over, Fine. That's a gain. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to eliminate them. But no, she drives straight at Morgan and comes like within inches of crushing him under this thing. So, well, if you're, if you're driving at somebody, uh, that is struggling with, uh, two other people and you want to kill those two people, you just drive right towards them because you assume that the person that you don't want to kill will, uh, be able to roll out of the way because they have the plot device shield. I guess so. But this is all so dumb and this this whole scene was so deeply rooted in the realm of ridiculous that it's hard to crawl out of it it made me so angry <laughs> that this one scene made me dislike a whole other show <laughs> <laughs> this one scene made you dislike world beyond it did. Like it bit. made me it made me dislike because that whole scene with the CRM, where again they counted to three so goddamn slowly. Yeah, it pissed me off so badly that I could not accept what was going on in a whole different show. Okay. Well, I I hope that through all of this, the last hour and twenty minutes or or thirty minutes or whatever it's been, I have convinced you to appreciate World Beyond a little bit more. A little bit more. I mean, that one scene, uh, you did have a plausible explanation for why uh, 
uh, what's his name saw the leaf and uh, moved on. But we all we also agreed that uh, everybody should have died. That would have been a much better outcome for the whole episode. Agreed, hundred uh, percent. All right, so this. But but I, I was also going to say, I, if I've convinced you to appreciate that a little bit more through our conversation, I have started to hate fear even more than I did going in. So I think everything is good in the in the universe <laughs> right now. Yeah. Okay. So everything balances out a little bit. I make you hate things a little bit more, and you make me like things a little bit more. So that's good. <laughs> at that's least, good. At least tonight. That's right. At least yeah. tonight. So this episode, I can't find. I still can't find a redeemable redeemable factor in this this whole episode. Well, there's not much for me either, um, other than the, the things off the top I mentioned about it sort of being a happy ending for Al and Isabel and her smashing the camera. I just wish the camera was smashed a long time ago and we didn't have to deal with the dumb interview story collecting aspect of it because it's been dumb oh, for that, a long time. That found footage bullshit was bullshit. Like it's, it's just from the get-go. It was, uh, yeah. you know, intermixing the, uh, you know, the interview footage from, it's so, it's, it's why I hate, uh, reality television. Because mm-hmm. not only are you subjected to whatever friggin' crazy ass shit that these people are being put through, but they have this confession cam thing where you have to sit in front of the camera and explain what you did, but in the present tense so that they can interleave your confession or whatever you're talking about <laughs> in with the actual action that's going on. Right. And and they kind of duplicated that fucking bullshit in this show <laughs> for reasons that I cannot fathom. Yeah, no, it's, and it just went on too long. It just went on so long. It's the kind of thing where when Al was first introduced to the show, if she's introduced and, and we're, and she's been doing this, but then she joins the show and there's a reason that she stops and moves on and becomes like a normal character in the show. I feel like that would be okay because we don't have to live through her going through all the filming and the interviewing and, and all that silliness. But they just went full on into it. They embraced it and it was a thing. So it never worked for me. I'm glad it's over. Now I'm just sad that Al's not on the show anymore. And are you? That's it. I'm not. I don't think I am. Okay. Not not super sad, but I'm like, if they're going to get rid of the, the worst part about the character and have her leave, I mean, get rid of the worst part about the character and have her stay. I mean, that might have been yeah. okay. Okay, that would have been all right. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, why? Uh, if she's going to leave, why, you know, get rid of the worst part of her character? If she's going <laughs> right. to stay, get rid of it. But if she's going to leave, you know, you know, I'm sure you got rid of it. But yeah, it's it seems like closing the door after the horses have run away. Hey, good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And one um, more question: If yeah. they stole all the fuel from the helicopter for the uh, the Amram, wouldn't that, would you call it an arm marm? It's the um. MRAP. 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 Uh, I keep calling it AMRAM and that's a missile. So MRAP. So if they stole all the fuel from the helicopter for the MRAP and they drove that fucking thing around for a while, uh, and then Al gets in the helicopter and flies away, where'd they get the fuel? Like, did, did they empty all the fuel from the MRAP and put it back in the helicopter so that she had enough fuel to fly away? Well, I, you know, I guess uh, maybe they didn't take it all or or maybe they did that. I don't know. How much fuel does a helicopter have? It can't really have all that much, right? I guess. Like just enough. <laughs> I don't know. But I assume the MRAP takes a lot of fuel. 
I'm sure like the I gas tank is bigger. Yeah. Huge tanks yeah. that uh, take a lot of fuel and it's, and it friggin' guzzles a lot too. Whereas the helicopter would be a little more efficient, I would assume. So anyway, I'm just, I'm questioning the amount of, amount of fuel that they had available to them. I mean, should we question the fact that apparently Al can fly a helicopter? No, why would we question that? Why would she be able to fly a helicopter? She's a journalist. She, she flew a plane. They made a plane that she flew earlier. Yeah, I guess. She's a pilot. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, once you're, a, she's like, uh, she's like Luke Skywalker. Once, uh, you know, he learned how to fly a T-15 back when he was a kid. Therefore, he can fly whatever, you know, uh, mm-hmm. if you can put him in a, uh, he had the force too, right? So there was, there was that. That helped, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. But, uh, and it's, it's like, uh, anybody, I mean, once you, once you learn how to fly a, a, a spaceship or, uh, any kind of vehicle, then, uh, you can fly anything else. I mean, look at Thor. He was, uh, he got into a spaceship in, uh, that most recent Thor movie and he was able to fly it no problem. Okay. Well, if you use Thor as an example, you've totally convinced me. <laughs> well, I mean, granted Thor's a couple thousand years old, right? So there's, he's got that going for him. I mean, uh, whereas uh, Bruce Banner, not Bruce Banner, um, yeah, Bruce Banner, uh, when he put in, it's, it's like you've got seven PhDs, you can fly this. It's like, you know, one. Of them, I don't have a PhD in flying alien spaceships. Yeah, I guess if you know how to drive one car, you know how to drive all the cars. I just think there's a difference between an airplane and a helicopter, and maybe, maybe not. Well, know. it's it's like the difference. You know, sure, I know how to drive a car, but if you put me in a train, uh, that train ain't going nowhere. Like I, there's levers and stuff and it's the same principle, you know, do stuff, make wheels go. Sure. No problem. I understand the general concept, but if you expected me to get that train moving, uh, you might be in for, in for a surprise. I mean, the controls are significantly different, I would think. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's also, uh, you, you saw Wonder Woman 1984. Yep. And uh, Chris, Chris Pine. Oh yeah. Able to fly it jet because he was world war one pilot oh right yes oh my god oh that that's worse that's worse than this by a great margin i grant you but still this is pretty bad (laughs) all right fair um she flies the helicopter to isabel's cabin and they have their little reunion scene before the episode is done and i don't i didn't hate this part but there were part there were elements about it that i hated for example, they put on one of Al's tapes on a TV in the background while uh-huh. they have a conversation. And I don't know if you noticed this, Jason, but they were more talking to the TV than they were to each other. Both of them reacted to lines that Al said on the tape on the TV rather than talking to each other and having a genuine conversation. I thought this was, I mean, weird more than anything else. Like, why would you have two characters in real life, face to face, having this conversation and have the whole thing framed by a conversation that's happening by one of the characters on a tape on a TV? I didn't get it. Like, they well, didn't, once they didn't again, need that running in the background. They didn't. I mean, they could have had this whole conversation without the TV going on. But again, once again, your parenting experience is uh, different than mine. Uh, you know, when we're watching TV... <laughs> You know, that's what we're talking about. Uh, even if we're having a conversation, our conversation is inter- interlaced with uh, stuff that's going on on the TV. Uh, and most of the time when the TV's on, uh, Jasper doesn't take questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, the TV plays prominent in uh, in any discussion 
if there's a TV on at the time. Okay, fair enough. But I thought on <clears throat> on here it was super weird, and they didn't need it. They didn't need it. They were trying to like remind the audience of what Al said in the past, but I feel like they could have just written the conversation well enough that it didn't matter what Al said in the past. They were having this face-to-face conversation. So the whole sentiment of them all kind of coming back together and running off and escaping the CRM and so on and so on was nice, but it was presented extremely weird in my opinion. And that's I agree. it. And that's it. Yep. And that's it. So brutal, brutal fear the walking dead. I am sorry if anyone out there really enjoyed this episode um, or if we've been a little too negative, but man, it was hard. It was hard with this one. I, I really needed to get a lot of this out. So I don't know. We got two more episodes of this as well. Uh, I don't Al's know. Al's gone. Uh, I don't even know what's so... going to happen now. It, it's got to shift back to Strand and then getting to Padre and figuring out where Alicia's been, I figure. Well, it's got to be Alicia. It's got to be Alicia-centric. Yeah, no, no Strand. So... You're right. Alicia or Morgan's whatever. everywhere. Like he's Johnny oh. on the spot, no matter what's going on. Yeah. Morgan's in the plot. Uh, you know, Strand, he was, you know, at least, uh, you know, his group of people were, you know, doing stuff, but uh, we, you know, there was no Strand in this episode, which I thought was a, a little odd. Yeah. Well, we'll probably get back to him next week, uh, unless it's all Alicia, but I think, I, I think I caught a little bit of the preview for next week and I saw Strand, so... That'll be that. Um, and then one more, which I guess has to do, will have to do with Alicia. Although who knows at this point, like, I don't know if these guys really know what they're doing. So I don't think any weirdness is off the table. Alrighty. There you go. Two more episodes of the Walking Dead universe shows and uh, things are going along. <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> they sure are. Um, real quick before we end here, I want to send a thank you to a couple of new people that have joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. That would be Sarah J and Bob R. Thank you to the both of you for pledging your support for the podcast, um, and becoming patrons. We really, really appreciate it. And of course, everyone who has done that and stick with it because when the walking dead comes back, in February, we'll start giving away prizes every week again to our patrons. So um, looking forward to doing that. All right. Um, I actually do have a very quick after hours bit uh, oh. this time, Jason. So I wanted to point that out for anyone who, you know, turns things off before the very end of the show. If you are so inclined, stick around for a quick after hours. And I'll just say that if nobody else does... One particular listener from Durham, North Carolina should hang on this time. Uh, so that's coming up very, very soon. But first, for all of those of you who are on your way out, uh, make sure you check us out on Twitter at Talking Dead. And if you would like to contribute, go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com, click on send voicemail at the top, and you can record a message that will get sent to us or send emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be back next week when we talk about the next two episodes of World Beyond and Fear. And until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao.
Ah, hello. I'm sorry I didn't see you there. Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink and welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. All right, welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours, everybody. This is the segment of the show, which we occasionally do, where uh, we just maybe talk about something unrelated or a little different or uh, something that doesn't really make it into the main part of the podcast, but we want to just drop it in here. And I wanted to do a brief one today because... Last week or the week before or whenever it was, I mentioned that uh, listener Tiffany in Durham, North Carolina has been listening through a lot of our back catalog and watching the old episodes and getting all caught up, uh, which she right. has now done. She is all caught up to wow. Walking Dead Prime and will be hopefully going with us on the current episodes when they come back in February. But I think what she's doing now is going back and watching all of our non- episode podcasts so all the off-season stuff and the thing all the stuff we did before the walking dead even premiered you know that first year of podcasting and stuff like oh, that god so yeah. <laughs> i know eh so she she just sent an email this week um with just a few notes about things that she heard in the first i don't know 19 or 20 episodes we ever did and um, I just wanted to read out a few of them here because okay. one of the things that, you know, after this long, even though I was here for all the podcasts, like <laughs> yeah. th there's a lot that's happened that I've forgotten about or haven't thought about in a very, very long time. Yep. And it struck me that having her do this is a really fun way to just kind of be reminded of some of the some of the stuff that's gone on here, right? Okay, cool. And so uh, I just thought I'd go through a few here, and I hope, Tiffany, you keep doing this for a while, and, and by all means, send your, like, one-sentence thoughts on, on, a, on a podcast episode we did. So, for example, podcast number three, she writes, is this friend of the show, Dave? And I'm like, well, it must be, because... Uh, you know, I guess Dave was on podcast number three. I don't nice. know. He was on a bunch Dave, of them. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, early on. He was definitely on. And we'll have him on again. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, it's friend of the show, Dave. We I don't know any other Dave. Do you know a Dave? I don't know any other Dave, especially a Dave that would be on the podcast. I don't think we've ever had another Dave on the podcast, no. So definitely friend of the show, Dave. That is indeed him. If you want to hear his likely first appearance, podcast number three. Cool. Good times. Podcast number four. She writes, Sean Bean is one of your shortlist to play Rick Grimes. Holy crap oh. on a stick. This was before Game of Thrones. This is freaking fun. <laughs> so Sean Bean. Sean, really? Sean Bean. Remember, we were sort of fantasy casting the show before anybody had been cast. Yeah. And I guess Sean Bean came up uh, for Rick Grimes. Sean Bean. I, I could do that. You know, he would have died in the first season, but whatever. I agree. He would have died too soon, but I could still see him playing Rick Grimes in a way, even though, you know, Andy Lincoln is burned into my mind as Rick Grimes. I can see it. He could have done Shane. That would have worked out. There you go. Not a, not a terrible idea there. Podcast number nine. 
Jason, my best friend, one must crack the spine on books to claim it as your own and let the book know you two are, are one now. Does so, that mean that I don't do that or I do do that? I, I don't know, but this is what I like about it. It's you must have made some kind of comment about not maybe cracking the spine on books or, or being very careful not to do that because you don't like to do it, but that's her take it, on it. It's somebody else's book. If I'm reading somebody else's book, I will not crack the spine uh-huh. because I don't want to do that because it's not mine because I agree with the claiming of things. I'm not sure uh, what I had said, but how I feel right now is that if it's my book, I'm absolutely cracking the spine. And I did that when I read a lot of novels when I was younger. I just twist a living shit out of that thing the cover would end up coming off. It was a disaster <laughs> by the time I was done with it. But if it was somebody else's book, I was very careful with it. Okay. Those, those are good rules, I would say. Yeah. I don't know what, uh, what I said or if I contradicted that in the, in that particular episode, but again, you know, I usually say consistency is a refuge of the weak-minded. Uh-huh. How I feel right now is that if I, if it was my book, I would absolutely crack that spine. Well, there you go. Podcast number 10, Jason again, the first use of what's his eyebrows on the podcast. <laughs> she says, like Scott in Alabama, I also use this in conversation now. Yeah, I'm going to try and, uh, well, this is great. This is great news. I want this to be worked into the general lexicon of uh, English. Yep. If I can have one legacy in my life, adding that to the uh, the English language uh, would be the highlight of my life. Let's make it happen, people. Everyone start using it everywhere you go. So uh, let's get it in the dictionary. What I like about that is the, like, I would never have known when the first use of that was, but apparently it was no. podcast number 10, you know, and there you go. That's cool. Uh, podcast number 13. Y'all predict that both his parents are killed off and Carl continues on with a new group in 10 years. You meant to say Judith, <laughs> which, which is true. I mean, if we predicted that, that both are killed off and Carl continues with a new group in 10 years, I mean, look at, the, look yeah. at what's happened. You know, it's just Judith instead of Carl. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Amazing. And then podcast number 19 you met your sister podcast and that this one I did cheat and I went and looked up what happened in episode 19 of our show. And I think that was the first time we ever talked about, I, I didn't listen to it, but we ever talked about, uh, the walking dead cast with, uh, Jason and Karen at the time. Of oh, course. okay, great. So awesome. first time we either heard of them, I don't know if I'd been in touch with them at that point or not, but, uh, if memory serves, Jason on that show reached out to me first and then we, you know, the rest is history, but, uh, I guess it's the first time we mentioned them. So fun awesome. stuff. So thank you, Tiffany, for, for doing this. It's fun to be reminded of these things. Uh, but it also kind of makes me wish we had some kind of like wiki database of all the stuff that's ever happened on this show. And like, you know, if I want to know what was the episode where we drank pickle juice you know i'd have to go searching for that like i don't oh, yeah. just know it off the top of my head we might have that in the show description you might have put that in there that kind of thing you might have put in yeah we probably do and in fact another listener mentioned that recently as well uh because it came up because um do you remember tasting eating uh uh spray cheese or string cheese we did that apparently too Vaguely. I know. And then we ate the Goo Goo Cluster, which, is, which was a thing Morgan had. I forget if someone sent yeah. it to us or if I got some in the States somewhere. Anyways, we've had, a, that either. we've had a few taste tests on the show, but like, nice. like I said, like, I don't remember when it happened, but 
if there was some kind of database of all this stuff, it would be fun. But I feel like it's too late now. Well, it's not because, you know, with, uh, with the ad advantages, advantages, advancements we've been making in AI uh, lately. I mean, having an AI go through and catalog stuff like that is, hmm. you know, what they're for. Uh, you know, for now, until they have their uprising and kill us all, right. this is what they can do for us is they can help us with uh, uh, correlating data and putting putting together data from sources that aren't easily, uh, you know, sourced. Well, there so, you go. Yeah, we just need to uh, buy an AI. What do you do with AIs? Do you rent an AI? You rent an AI for a little while. You you borrow it because they're too they're too smart to to buy. Why would you buy an AI? You just rent one. I mean, yeah, you, you don't need it for good. You just want to rent it. it. Seems silly to buy it. Yeah, we'd listen to all the episodes all at the same time, so that uh, it could do the whole the whole thing in a couple of hours, probably. Good. Okay. Well, that's a great idea. Or we could just keep have Tiffany sending these notes in and it would be almost, yeah, be just as good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, a natural intelligence instead of an artificial intelligence. Okay. The, the correlation force. There's a YouTube, uh, YouTube video out there where they play all the Simpsons episodes at the same time. That's a lot. It is a lot. It's like little tiny, you know, thumbnails, but uh, they're playing like the entire episode from uh, all the episodes at the time of whatever that was, but it was really interesting to watch the first 10 minutes because you see where all the, uh, all the different intros fit in. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was, it was kind of neat. And the audio was also there. Ooh, is, that would be uh, overwhelming. I would think it was a little overwhelming, but that's how uh, an AI would, uh, would watch information. It doesn't need to do it linear, linearly like us morons. Yeah. Uh, it would do things all at once because why not? Interesting. All right. Well, I might go check that out. Anyways, thanks, Tiffany, for sending this in. It's fun. Continue doing it if you want, but I totally understand if you don't. Uh, but also, I'm just glad you're enjoying the old episodes. So, yeah, good times. Awesome. All right. That's it. See you next time, everyone.